Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, February 16th, 2020. May God use this as a blessing for you today. And now, Pastor Aaron Stenberg. Now, when I graduated from high school, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to be. I was going to join the FBI and become one of those profilers who track down serial killers. Bear in mind, this was before Criminal Minds and all of those TV shows that made this a popular life choice. Why did I want to chase down serial killers? Looking back, honestly, I have no idea. And I start thinking about it, and maybe it has to do with where I grew up. I grew up in Irvine, a beautiful, planned, and designed city where almost nothing ever happens. You should be very, very cautious if you jaywalk, because when I was growing up, the police did not have a lot to do. So when I graduated from high school, I went to Cal State Fullerton to major in criminal justice. And I was in my third year there, and I went to an advisor um, about graduation. And she looked at my transcript, and then she looked at me, and she said, well, you're, you're majoring in criminal justice, but it looks like you've been taking all of our religious studies classes. And so if you finished the couple classes you needed for criminal justice and stayed one more semester, you could double major. And so I thought about it, and I'm like, why not? Now, I had grown up in the church, and I hadn't realized this, this deep hunger to learn more about my faith and to learn it from an academic perspective, but to also learn about uh, world religions, learn about the faiths of others. And it turns out that was how I had chosen all of my electives. Now, down the road, uh, people would tell me, um, they would look at my two interests of criminal justice and religious studies, and they would look at me and they would say, I don't get it. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's really, really strange. Uh, but it, it, it really tied together for me because I wanted to see and I wanted to understand what people believed, and I also wanted to understand why people behaved the way they did. And to me, these were almost two sides of the same coin. Uh, You have those who are breaking the moral code of society, and then uh, the endeavor to understand where that moral code uh, comes from. And so I was really glad and excited when Pastor Jim said we were going to be doing this series of learning about faiths around the world, that we as a church would take this time to, to study and learn together. And so welcome to the sixth week of our sermon series, uh, Christianity and World Religions. And it has been quite a journey so far. We have traveled from Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Native American spirituality to Sikhism. Now today is all about Buddhist spirituality. And next week, Pastor Jim will conclude the series by bringing us back home to Christianity. Now, throughout this series, our goal has been to learn about other faith traditions. It hasn't been to make the argument of why uh, they are wrong and we are right. Uh, Instead, we are intentionally entering into a space of being lifelong learners. 
We are clearing up misconceptions that we might have, and we are leaning into our call to love our neighbors by learning a little bit more about them. Now, Buddhism is characterized by an emphasis on knowledge. Unlike Christianity, where we understand our human predicament uh, in moral terms of sin and guilt, this separation that we have from God, uh, it's very different in Buddhism. Uh, For the Buddha, he identified our human predicament as an intellectual problem, one of ignorance and error. And so as we begin to look at Buddhism, an important element for us to realize is that Buddhism is incredibly diverse in thought and in practice. Now, looking at Christianity, we might think, we're pretty diverse, right? We can look around at all of the different denominations, all of the diversity there. Uh, We look at the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and the differences that we have in thought and practice there, and we think we're pretty diverse. Well, there's one author, Sir Norman uh, Anderson, who points out that for in Buddhism, it's more like taking all of the differences between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, putting them all together, and that is a glimpse into the scope of diversity that you would find in Buddhism. So I am very grateful for uh, George E. St. Laurent and his book, Spirituality and World Religions, A Comparative Introduction, and Adam Hamilton's work titled Christianity and World Religions. But I'm also uh, deeply indebted to Corey McIntyre, Gary and Valerie's son, and he he graciously spent uh, a wonderful time in conversation with me sharing about his journey with Zen Buddhism. And uh, he uh, was so generous in what he was sharing and really helped me understand some of the general tenets of Buddhist spirituality. Now, growing up, Corey was interested in the, the beauty of the land of Tibet, and he received a book for Christmas called An Open Heart, written by the Dalai Lama, and he began to learn about Buddhism. And he was looking for ways uh, to help him with ADHD, and he found that the practice of meditation was incredibly helpful. So today he is active with the Zen Center of Los Angeles, and he teaches meditation at the San Luis Obispo County Jail. And while he is a layman, he has gone through a, a lay ordination. I asked him a little bit about that because I was confused, because lay and ordination for us is very different, right? And he uh, helped me out by saying that it's somewhat similar to our understanding of confirmation. What this means is that he is practicing as a bodhisattva, one who has agreed to follow 16 precepts, and one whose purpose is to help other people develop themselves. As such, he's taken many classes and engaged in a much uh, deeper study. Now, if you look very closely at the picture, you might see something around his neck. Um, That is called a roksu, and it's a symbol of lay ordination. It's a traditional Japanese garment, and he actually sewed it together himself in preparation for his jukai, or his ordination ceremony. There, he received a name that his teacher uh, gave to him based on his character. And so he shared with me that his name is Rujin, the Ru symbolizing the dragon and Jin signifying compassion. 
And he told me, while he doesn't use the name very often, it is a daily reminder for him to be fiercely compassionate in all that he does. And so Corey shared with me that Buddhism is in many ways hard to define as a religion. There is no central god to the Buddhist. And it's not that they deny God's existence, but it, it really isn't important to the Buddhist experience. Ultimately, one's own experience is what's important. And so Buddha is not worshipped as a god. Buddha taught and went through his own enlightenment, but he never wanted anyone to take his word for it. His teachings were to help others verify for themselves. And so there are uh, three main points that Buddha concluded. One, that the whole cosmos is a Nietzsche, which means impermanence. Everything is in a state of flux, of becoming, of change. Uh, the second is dukkha, which is sorrow or suffering. And this is the suffering that we find uh, in life. And finally, he, con he concluded that human, human beings are anatta, which means no self. Instead, there's this sense of a universal togetherness throughout the universe. Connectedness is something that I heard many times. And the idea is if there is no self, we all belong to each other. We are all connected and interdependent within this grand network that is beyond our understanding. And so the story of Buddhism begins around 563 BC, when a baby was born in modern Nepal. Born to a king of a small kingdom, Suddhartha Gautama grew up sheltered and protected by his father. His father had been told that his son was going to be a great aesthetic and spiritual leader, but his father wanted him to be a great king. And so he kept him sheltered and away from the suffering of the world. And he provided him with every kind of luxury he could possibly imagine. At the age of 29, even though he had been married and had a son, Siddhartha decided to leave his father's home and to search for truth. And the story goes, he first came upon a decrepit old man, bent old, over from old age. And Siddhartha had never seen anything like this before. And so he asked his charioteer, is this the fate of all people? Yes, Siddhartha, the charioteer replied, all of us grow old. And this news was troubling to Siddhartha's spirit, and he began to think about it. Several days later, Siddhartha ventured out into the city again. And this time he saw a man who was very ill, almost to the point of death. Again, Siddhartha asked his charioteer, is this the fate of all people? Do we all get sick like this? And the charioteer replied, yes, all people suffer illness. And Siddhartha was troubled even more deeply now, and he became downcast. He felt anxiety and even despair. A few days later, Siddhartha's charioteer took him out of his father's palace one more time. And this time they saw a funeral procession going by. And Siddhartha had never seen a dead body before, and the reality of death had never sunk in for him. And so again, Siddhartha asked, is this the fate of all of us? 
And the charioteer once again replied, yes, it is the fate of all people to die. And so faced with the reality that there is aging, that there is illness and there is death, his eyes were opened to the amount of suffering in the world. He then left the palace one final time and forever. Uh, He left his family for good and he became a, a wandering aesthetic. And so he had lived in the lap of luxury. Um, and as he transitioned to the austere life, he applied himself fully to that. He tried to deny the reality of his body. He would sit in thickets of brambles. He would, he would try to subsist on one grain of rice a day up to the point where he was close to death himself. And then it's told he then came to enlightenment. He came to an awakening that he would later share with others. And in his well-known sermon in the Deer Park, the Buddha's core teachings about the middle way, uh, the four noble truths, and the eightfold path are summarized. Now, it's been told that Buddhism is a religion of lists. And so let's take a look at some of these lists, some of these core beliefs uh, that Buddhists have. Firstly, uh, Buddha discovered the middle way, a balance between the extremes of luxury, of abundance, and then the opposite extreme of afflicting the body with extreme fasting or sleeplessness, basically the state where you don't take care of yourself. He had experienced both. And he decided that there was a better way, that there was a middle way, a balance that one could follow. And he also uh, discovered and realized four noble truths. And here they are. Number one, life is characterized by suffering. Now, this is not meant to be a dark and depressing point of view, but simply an acknowledgement that there is suffering around us. I mean, we all see it. You know, we get sick, we age, we die. There are times of stress and anxiety in our lives. And so for Buddha, the first truth is simply a recognition that suffering is around us. And the second one is that uh, suffering is caused um, by attachments, that there is a reason we suffer, and it's because of the attachments that we have. For example, we, we cling to life. And so we suffer when we're faced with death. We crave to be loved, so we suffer when love is withdrawn. We crave food, so we suffer when we're hungry. All the suffering we experienced is caused by attachments we have. But his third uh, truth is that we can put an end to suffering by ending and overcoming our attachments. This can come through uh, dispassion or detachments. When we're no longer attached to people or things, suffering ceases, and we no longer need to be reborn and enter into another life of suffering. And finally, the holy eightfold path is the way to overcome suffering. As progress is made on this path, our attachments, our cravings, um, our delusions will gradually disappear. And so, let's take a look at what that eightfold path is. And I read one scholar who talks about that this isn't a straight line. You jump around to these. um, It's not a direct path, but all of these at the same time as you go through your life. Um, The first being right understanding. 
right views, such as accepting the four truths. Uh, there's right aspiration, and that's resolving to achieve the highest goals in life. There's right speech in everything that you say. There's right action or conduct, and that includes charity and non-harm to any living beings. Right mode of livelihood is an interesting one, and this kind of touches on the idea of not striving for luxury or indulgence, but one's livelihood uh, allowing yourself to be useful uh, in this life. Right effort in all that you do, right awareness or mindfulness, and then right concentration, such as in meditation. Now, I think it's important for us to recognize that Buddha actually grew up in a Hindu society. And while he didn't embrace the theology of Hinduism, he did, uh, he did agree with and accept some Hindu ideas. Uh, for example, Buddhists believe in reincarnation, this cycle of uh, birth, of life, of death, and then rebirth, where one lives many different lives. Uh, Buddhists also embrace the Hindu view that our good and our bad deeds generate karma. Karma is good uh, and bad energy that is passed on and determines the state we will occupy in the life to come. And so if we generate bad karma, uh, we may come back not as a human being but as an animal. And if we do good, we will be reincarnated in a more positive or a higher level. Uh, But in my readings, I came to discover that karma uh, can be a little bit more complex than I first thought. Uh, Good deeds don't cancel out bad deeds. Uh, Good deeds carry a reward, and evil deeds carry their own reward, independent of each other. And I found that to be very interesting. The highest goal for the Buddhists is to escape this ongoing cycle of life and death to break from this cycle of karma and to reach nirvana. In Hinduism, nirvana is this understanding of when one soul is in union with God. But in Buddhism, there is no you. And so nirvana is the end of our personal self, and it's when our karmic energy is reunited with all of the energy in the universe. And so instead of this constant change, constant flux, impermanence of the universe, nirvana would be a permanent state of serene calmness and tranquil peace. I read it described as the fullness of tranquility, splendidly radiant with boundless light and joy beyond all telling. And so at this point in my conversation with with Corey, I asked about the role of community. I was very interested in terms of uh, if Buddhism is an individual type of spirituality or if community plays a role. And he told me that Buddhists take refuge in three treasures or three jewels. And that is the Buddha, the Dharma, or the teachings, and the Sangha, the community of practitioners. And so Pastor Jim and I went about a week ago uh, to visit the Thien Vien Chen Nguyen Buddhist Meditation Center, uh, a place where the Sangha, the community, can gather together. And it is found outside of Victorville in uh, the city of Atalanto. I know I say that wrong every time. Is that right? 
Adelanto. I always want to say Adelanto. Okay. In Adelanto, in the middle of the desert, if you drive out there, is this beautiful Buddhist temple in the middle of nowhere. And it's this large compound, and it's filled with statues and trees and art. And uh, it really is a place of beauty and tranquility. And we spent an hour, about an hour, uh, walking around the grounds and in the temple itself. And um, we didn't have a chance to speak with anyone there. We went midweek, middle of the day, um, and so we didn't see any monks. We glanced uh, at them in passing. They were having lunch inside another building on our way out. Um, But we did see one couple come in to the temple and pay their respects. And unfortunately, we don't have time for me to show you all of the beautiful and amazing pictures that Pastor Jim took. They were, they were wonderful. But we're going to try to get those up on the app somehow so you can see those. And if you find yourselves in Atlanta, you should go there. It is open, um, and you can go and walk around. Um, and then on your way home, if you go about 10, 12 minutes out of your way, you can stop by Cracker Barrel before you come back home. I got to go there for my very first time, and I, was, I, I enjoyed it immensely. So according to their website, this is a, an aerial view, um, but according to their website, in 1977, the monk Thich Dong Phop, after the Vietnam War, painfully moved away from his homeland in central Quang Tri to the United States. Uh, leaving his family, he and his friends went to the desolate desert of Mojave, California, and bought a small piece of land in the windy desert where he lived in a mobile home for seven years. And the website talks of the many hardships that he faced, and it says it was not unlike the hardships faced by the Buddha himself. And as he was practicing enlightenment, uh, the Buddha pointed out for them to build a temple in this desert, like a green oasis to heal people's wounds and their suffering. Uh, People come from all over to bring gifts and gratitude to the temple to help it thrive. And their website closes speaking about their history uh, by saying this. On the highway across the desert that connects California, Nevada, Utah, and Arizona, Passengers in the car seem tired of the desert sandy brown. Reaching the Adelanto landmark suddenly caught sight of the greenery of the cool trees. Ultimately, Buddhism is about mindfulness. It is about letting go of one's ego and being intentional in our mindfulness. And Corey shared with me his perspective that when we are mindful, we disintegrate the barriers we have between ourselves and others. We remember viscerally the things that connect us. And the wisdom that comes from that generates compassion. It was a great learning experience for me as I prepared for the sermon this week. And we cover but a general overview looking at Buddhism today. And there's much that we share in terms of our belief in the importance of caring for others and the importance of using our minds and our experiences to gain truth. And that being said, we also have our differences as well. Foremost for the Buddhist, the question of whether there is a God is unimportant. For us, God is central to our lives and our faith. We believe that God sent Jesus to bring us salvation. 
And it is through God's grace and not by anything that we do, no works of ours, that we are saved. Our actions of of compassion come from our gratitude and our worship. And we look not only to our, our intellect, our reason, our experience, but also to tradition and foremost we look to scripture to guide us and to give us a deeper understanding of who God is. And while we have our differences, the sense of connection and compassion for one another is certainly a call that we both share. I am grateful for our Buddhist brothers and sisters uh, who teach us that listening is important, that mindfulness is essential, and that peace is up to us. As we follow the ways of Jesus, may we continue to learn from and to love our neighbors And as as Paul so eloquently puts it in Romans, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, let us live peaceably with all. Amen. Amen.